Hello and welcome back to What the Fork at the Euros. We've covered them both on this podcast extensively. And as we enter the knockout stages, England do march on to what looks like a tricky last 16 tie after a 1-0 win over the Czech Republic. But for Scotland, they fell at the first hurdle yet again and they're outclassed by Croatia in the game that they simply had to win. And to join me today on the reaction show is one Englishman and one Scot. First and foremost, I'll introduce you to a familiar voice and a man who'll be slightly happier than the other, Mr. Jack Shields. How are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm pretty good, yeah. I'm uh, pleased to be uh, in the European Championships as uh, one or two of our neighbours on. But no, looking forward to the rest of the tournament, looking forward to uh, seeing how we get on and progress, hopefully. But let's see what happens. Dragon White's still Tuesday, I think, isn't it? Um, I <laughs> On the flip side, as I said, we will have one Scott and first and uh, sorry, second and second and second most. And sadly, actually, probably for the final time to be discussing Scotland during the Euros is, is daily, the daily records, Gabe Mackay. Gabe, uh, obvious question maybe, but how you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm not, not too bad. Looking looking forward to getting back to supporting whoever England are playing rather than having a team <laughs> to support at the competition. To be fair, I was going to say, like, have you had to do that before? But I, I know the answer to that. Um I'll start with you, Gabe, to be honest. Uh, you weren't obviously on the preview show, but Scott, as ever, um, thought Scotland could do it. I was there to see the game. I ultimately thought that you could as well. I think ultimately we probably all underestimated Croatia a little bit. Um, and Scotland, sadly, fell at the group stages for about the 40 millionth time in their history. It's almost 24 hours after the event, but how are the emotions following the game? It's actually sort of in a way a relief not to go out in heartbreaking Scotland fashion and just to get beaten by what was a just a better team on the day I mean we were well beaten so it wasn't one of those which I think I predicted on the uh, the last time I was on that we'd be one nil up in the 93rd minute or something and they'd equalize and we'd go out that way we were just beaten by a better team on the day so in a way it's kind of a bit of a relief because you know you, you didn't deserve anything more from it. it wasn't a sort of hard luck story it was just a better team beating you on the day. It was a weird way for Scotland to go out because obviously, like I say, I was at the game and I've got mountains of Scottish friends, Scotland supporting friends. And the person I share a bed and a house with is Scotland mad. And I think you were all expecting to maybe do something and, and concede in the last minute and, and stuff like that. And it was weird. So Croatia scored straight away. Then you pulled it back probably against the runner play. But second half, just it was just... I don't know if it was outclassed or I don't know if they'd, they'd ran the legs out in, in the England game. I don't know. What, what did you make of it? I thought right from the start, it was all kind of, was kind of all heat and no light. They obviously, they were obviously very up for it and were really going for it, but there wasn't much more to it than a sort of manic intensity. There didn't seem to be much, much strategy in it. Now, obviously, of course, there would have been strategy. They'd have been working on it before the game, but it just seemed like they were kind of charging about without really having much of a, a game plan to it, whereas Croatia, okay, maybe the first 10 minutes, they sort of weathered a little bit of a storm. After that, they just, you saw they got set on the ball. And as we talked about, I think, before the tournament, when you look at, okay, Croatia aren't quite the team they were, but they were in a World Cup final three years ago. And that midfield, Modric needs no introduction. Brozovic plays for the Italian champions. Kovacic plays for the European champions. And once they got settled into the rhythm and on the ball, it was a, a real tough night, I thought. It was quite funny, the guy in front of me, Motherwell fan, um, speaking all night, and he, he's followed Scotland all over the world. 
and he went at half time. No, after he scored the second one, he, after Croatia scored the second one, he said, I, I'd convinced myself that this Croatian team was, was aging and we could do something. But when I realistically look at it, we were relying on a 19-year-old to handle players who play for Bayern Munich, Inter Milan, Real Madrid. He's like, I think in reality, the hope's probably got too much of it, too much for us. There's a few people criticising Scotland and we'll, we'll come further onto it and deeper into that. But do you think that ultimately it was actually a really tough group in hindsight? I think it. I think it was. I think apart from obviously the group with Portugal, France, and, and Germany, and it, it is one of the tougher groups. I mean, as we said, I think a lot of people underrated the Czech Republic. I think they're better than a lot of people thought they were. I mean, I think on on here we actually said before the tournament that they were probably a little bit underrated. England, we know about, and Croatia. Okay, they're not the team they were in 2018, but they're coming from a peak of being in the World Cup final, which is a pretty big peak. So even if you decline from that a little bit, you're still a very good team. So I think if you look at in, in the cold light of day, Scotland probably do have the weakest squad in that group. There were mistakes, there are criticisms to be made, which I'm sure we can come on to. But ultimately, to finish bottom of that group, it's probably, if you're looking at it purely coldly and objectively, what you would expect. Yeah, true. Jack, on a more a more of a positive note with England, I think we we are through. We've conceded none, uh, but we seem at like half pace. I think the kindest way I can put it is it's not been the most enthralling of of tournament games from England. And obviously, I was at the Scotland game yesterday, but I've caught up on the ninety minutes and the second half. I think I was almost like tempted to put catfish on. It was, and it's really not like me to be honest. And I know the game was almost meaningless, but we're heading into the knockout stages. We've kind of, you can't say we've limped there because we haven't conceded a goal, but no one's really massively excited. How are you feeling about England at Euro 2020 so far? A bit the same, really, um, Graham. I think, yeah, I agree with them on, on Scotland as well. Just touching back on Scotland, I think no disrespect intended at all, but I think everyone expected Scotland probably in the, you know, to finish bottom of the group. And I don't think they've disgraced themselves too much, particularly the point against England was a good battling point that deserved a draw. So no disgrace for them. You know, it was a tough group. I would agree with you. Um, but in terms of England, I think we've just, I agree, we just, we haven't really got going yet, have we? I mean, in, in spells in all three games, Graham, I think, well, not so much against Scotland, in, against Scotland, but the other two games, Croatia and Czech Republic in spells, we have played well. We have created chances. We have played at an intensity um, and had opportunities, but we haven't done it collectively for a large period or over the over a full game. I thought last night for the first half were excellent. We had players running in behind. Sacco, Grealish, Sterling was running in behind. Um, Harry Kane was sharper, even though he didn't get the goal. You know, everyone's looking for, and we looked like we had more pace and energy, which was the one thing we were crying out for against Scotland. Was just somebody to break in behind, somebody to take a chance, somebody to run in behind and create something to stretch the defence. And I thought first half yesterday we really did that. I thought, you know, Sterling hit the post. We had he scored the goal. We could have had maybe one or two. It probably could have been two or three at half time. And everyone's thinking this is a bit more like it. And then second half, I don't know whether it was just because we were already through or whether we have to give the Czech Republic a little bit of credit for getting on the ball. But we were just a bit passive for me. We were just too too willing to just sit back, get in shape and, and say to the Czech Republic, well, you can have all of the ball. We're not gonna, you're not going to score. And ultimately they didn't and we won the game. So people, will, people might say, well, what's he talking about? We've got seven out of nine points and three clean sheets and we're top of the group. 
But I worry with footballers, I don't think you can turn it on. You know, you can't just turn it on and say, well, we're going to play then and not play. We haven't really got going yet at the tournament. And that's a bit of a worry because whether it's France, Portugal or Germany, all three of those are probably going to give us hard, harder matches than we've played at the minute. And they're going to be able to attack us more with better players. So for us to say to them, well, we're going to sit, sit in shape and defend and be passive against them, I'm not really sure is the best best way to play because I think if any, if you're looking at the England team, where's our strength? It's probably going forward, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's creating chances. It's getting the likes of the players that I touched on. You know, your you, you Grealish, Sacco, uh, Foden, Mount, I know he might not be playing, but uh, Jid, Sancho, those type of players, that's where our strength is. And I don't think we've really allowed them players to really flourish at the minute. So, yeah, I'm happy we're through. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I'm hoping it's a bit of a slow burner and we'll get better as the, the tournament goes on. I was on a, another podcast as a guest, which was a bit disorientating, if I'm honest. But um, one word that I used and every guest on the, the panel used was intent and, and the, therefore the lack of it with England. Um, Scotland had a huge... The Scotland game had a huge lack of intensity. Huge lack of intensity. Um, Scotland worked for it and it made it so incredibly easy for, for Scotland to defend against when we passed it along the, the, the midfield in the back. I think Croatia was probably the best of the three performances based on the quality they've got and the fact that we were clearly the better side. But like you say, yesterday after the first half, again, it was lack of intent. Is that coming from the team being just knackered or is that Southgate's instructions? What do you think? Um, I think perhaps a little bit of both. I think uh, Gareth Southgate, he's quite a... a um, a manager that thinks, you know what I mean, he's someone that might plan ahead and he might think, well, look, we, we did this in the World Cup three years ago and we managed to get to the semi-finals by kind of managing our squad and, you know, not peaking too early and, 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 and getting by. And I think he has that in mind, but also I think the players at the minute, I think they're just, we're, we're already through type thing, you know what I mean? And there's always going to be a second chance in the group, you know what I mean? Like, if worst comes to the worst and Scotland beat us, we would we would always have the second chance, you know what I mean, against mm-hmm. Czech Republic to win. And whereas in the in the last sixteen, the knockout stages, there is no second chance, you know what I mean? We're going to be playing a very good team, whoever it is. And that's what I mean. You can't turn on when you're going to be intense and turn on, you know, when you're going to be playing, you know, at the highest level and things like that. So it's a little bit of a worry. I mean, we might end up developing and getting better. The last sixteen we might play our best match and beat them. I think this England team certainly capable of beating either France, Portugal or, or Germany. But likewise, all three teams are capable more than easily of beating England as well. So I think there's definitely, I'm hoping, I think there's another gear to go up from England. I definitely think there's another gear. I'm just hoping we find it. And I think we've got a week now, we've got a solid week now. Um, I'm just watching, I think, Hungary have taken the lead against Germany. Um, I think uh, we've got a solid week now whereby we should be preparing and get what get whatever it takes to get that intensity level up. So we approach the last sixteen game in the right way. There's, we'll come further on to this later on, but um, obviously for the, the sake of the podcast, that's probably going to change the Hungary Germany score. But whilst we're at it, Hungary are nowhere near the strong football nation that you would fear in the last sixteen. Yeah, they've got a draw against France. They were horrendously unlucky against. Portugal, and they've just took the lead against Germany. They may go on to get battered 5-1, all right, by the end of this podcast. And I I would imagine the Germans, as they always do, do something to pull that back. But Hungary have never been out of any of those games. Is it fair to say that we're sitting here a bit worried about who we're going to play last 16, who we're playing, when realistically the teams that we're playing 
having flashes shown that they're good exactly the same as we have. So there's nothing too much to fear. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, I think France, I, I still think France are the favourites, but I watched them, the one one and drawn one and, you know, see how they get on tonight. Uh, Portugal conceded a lot of goals against Germany. Uh, Germany weren't great against France first game. And then, like you say, Hungary, who are going to be whipping boys of the group, are shown that they might have a chance, you know what I mean? And that they might graft and actually, with a bit of luck, get through. So I, I know what you mean. And I think there hasn't been any team, there's been, you could argue Italy, but I think there hasn't been a team that you pin on and say, yeah, they've been superb out in front on their own. I think everybody's had good spells within games. And I think England have to a certain extent, not saying England are the favourites, far from it. I get, I get what you're saying. It is a pretty open Euros. I think really, I think there's, it's going to be interesting in the knockout stages to see who kind of grasps the grasps the the initiative. Grasps the nettle, as Held Wilkinson would say. Exactly, yeah. Grasps that, the that nettle. <laughs> um, before we move back onto Scotland, there's there's two things I wanted to sort of chat about with England. When I watched the game, I wouldn't have talked to the tournament. I think I said it in the preview show, but we did, and he was probably our best player yesterday, Bukayo Saka. Um, I think he's a cracking little player, uh, and I think he was our standout player yesterday. You can't really deny it. Jack Grealish, obviously, um, I love Jack Grealish, and I'm in a relationship with him in my own head. But the fans have been calling out for him to start. Um, he gets an assist again yesterday. That's his third assist in nine England games. I think it's the highest, I think, or one of the highest um, from the whole England team. Do you continue with Bakayo Saka and, and Jack Grealish in the next game? Um, definitely Grealish. I would definitely be starting Grealish in the last 16. Um, Sacco, he deserves it. Don't get me wrong, he really deserves it. And I think, I wouldn't argue if he was, but I think he, he may um, he may potentially just go with a, a Phil Foden or someone of that nature who's maybe just a little bit, have more big game experience. That's not to say I would be, if, if Southgate started Sacco, I wouldn't say, oh, well, that's a terrible decision. He, he's, he's, he's warranted it on his performance. But I think, Southgate might just drop him off the bench and I think he would be a fabulous option from the bench if we need a goal for him to bring on because what, what I liked about him last night was he's, he was just he was going at it, do you know what I mean? He, he wasn't... Fearless, he, isn't he? he? Yeah, but he wasn't... He was just willing to, willing to take players on and I think you need, you need, at this tournament, you need someone that's willing to take players on. No good just playing players that are going to sit and square ball at all the time, do you know what I mean? Because we've seen already that we're struggling to break teams down, and I think it was a, it was those players running in behind that really stretched the Czech defence last night more so the first half than they did the second half. But we've shown we can do it, but just in in flashes, and it would be nice if we could have it more. And I think playing players like that would definitely open us up to creating more opportunities. I heard a little vibration there, and you were speaking about Saka and, and the way he played quite passionately. Have you got your dildo out? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's not. I've got no WhatsApps about the, the group, the group chat, uh, <laughs> saying, oh, one hungry and one all that. So, no, I have not got my job in my group. I don't want to do it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you say that now. Um, <laughs> Graham does, and it's called Jack Grealish. Regarding the the final kind of thing I want to discuss, we've discussed Saka, we've discussed Grealish, we've chucked a bit of Foden in there. None of them have got tournament experience, and apparently Jaden Sancho has not been played because of that, unless I've misinterpreted it. I was watching a, a German guy this morning um, on Sky Sports and he's perplexed as to why Jaden Sancho's not playing. And I think the whole of Germany is. I've got a few friends over there that are just like, what, why? Like, they're just dumbfounded by it. 
Is something gone on there? Am I reading too much into that? Because Jaden Sancho surely has more big game experience than, than all of them, if not tournament experience. Yeah, I mean, I, have, I must admit, Graham, I don't watch a lot, a lot of the Bundesliga, so I haven't watched Jaden Sancho a lot. But the times I have watched him, he's looked more than capable of handling it in a national level. You know what I mean? He plays for a big football club in Germany, so I can't say really anything hugely phasing him. Um, and yeah, if that's the excuse, I'd rather Southgate just come out and said, look, we've got lots of options. And at the minute, he's one I'm looking at, but I'm preferring other options rather than if it is Southgate. Or if that's the excuse, it's a pretty flimsy excuse, in my opinion. I think the problem we've got, Graham, is we have a lot of good players, but they're all really in the sort of attacking midfield, attacking wing you know, area. And we've got a lot of, I would, I would happily trade I would happily trade a good attacking midfielder that we've got for like a really good centre-half or a really top-class centre-mid, you know what I mean? I think that would really push us up into one of the best teams of the tournament. So, as I say, I haven't seen a lot of Sancho. He's impressed me when he has played, but I think it's just a matter of we've got so many options at the minute in that kind of same role. There's going to be two or three at least disappointed every game and there's going to be fans saying, well, why has he not played him? It was it was Grealish against Scotland. Why has he not played Grealish? Last night, it's why has he not played Jadon Sancho? If he plays Jaden Sancho and we get to the quarterfinals, it'd be why is he not played so and so? So do you know what I mean? It's gonna be it's gonna be someone unhappy all the way. But I would definitely think of I'm I'm surprised, I agree with you, that he hasn't featured a little bit more. Yeah, same. I'm really surprised, in fact. Um back to Scotland, we're talking about selection dilemmas. Uh one selection that really, really surprised and almost actually annoyed me, to be honest, Gabe. Grant Hanley. Had a good tournament, to be fair to him, um, based on what I think people expected him to have. He's, he's got his limitations, but he did very well. Um, when he went off, that's obviously not good news, because I think he told him he's all up until he went off, obviously. And then everyone around me, as he's gone off, goes, oh, well, I would bring Deck Gallagher on. Someone else goes, no, no, you bring Liam Cooper on. Lo and behold, he brings Scott McKenna on. Um, and I'm, I'm not the kind of uh, person that likes to throw anyone under the bus, but he was the least person I expected as a as a an actual Scotland fan game. What, what did you make of the decision? <clears throat> well, I actually um, tweeted when he came on just the words, oh Christ, not Scott McKenna. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, that was baffling to me. I mean, I assume the logic being Hanley's a sort of big brawny kind of guy and he wanted the most like for like he could get. But I mean, I've, I've never particularly rated McKenna. And I think the first thing he did was to get booked for clattering. Um, 30 seconds, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, thirty seconds. Um, yeah, so no, that that one I thought was very, very odd. I mean, given he he barely featured, I mean, he came off the bench in both the friendlies, I think, uh, but at left centre back for Tierney, I guess, in a rehearsal for a few. If you're at the tournament and you want to shut the game down for ten minutes and you need someone that can head it, so to bring him on when Hanley went off injured, I thought was bizarre. I, I personally would have gone for Cooper, but yeah, okay, if not. Go for Declan Gallagher, but yeah, the the decision to to go with McKenna, I just I just thought was bizarre, and he didn't. I mean, he didn't have he didn't have a shocker, but you know, as I said, he came on and within about thirty seconds had been booked for just clumsily tackling. I think he was the guy went to go past him on his right, and he couldn't use his right foot, so he had to sort of shuffle round on his left and just clattered him, and it was just yeah, it was just clumsy and exactly. Exactly what, what I think everyone feared when they saw him coming on. I think it's fair. Again, every team, every goal you lose is a goal you lose as a team because it's every in every moment you could have pressed better up top, you could have done this, that, and the other, or, or whatnot. But I think ultimately, when you're looking at it in the, in the black and white without the other 
transition to play and whatnot. McKenna was probably at four for a few of those goals. Um, he was out of position numerous times. And he just looked a little bit like he'd crapped his pants, which um, I can kind of understand. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. But I think on the pitch, it, it just really felt like Croatia handled it better, but also though far classier. They just passed the ball better. And, and Scotland seemed to just chase after it and tie themselves out. Um, I don't think the Croatia game realistically was the game where Scotland probably lost it, which seems weird because that means that I'm just pointing the finger at the, the Czech Republic game, which was probably a slightly better performance. But when you look back on the three games, what are the moments that you pinpoint Scotland as ultimately the, the failure and the things that you could have done different, the things you must work on moving forward? I think, well, the large amount of missed chances, even yesterday when we were quite clearly second best, you know, McGinn misses a huge chance. Adams has a chance he doesn't make contact with to go 1-0 up. So there's that. I thought, Yesterday as well, I mean, I, I, Steve Clark knows far more about uh, tactics and stuff than I do, but I thought putting Armstrong in was a sort of strange decision that didn't really work. Um, you know, I mean, Modric ran the show, basically. I don't think Armstrong provides that sort of pressing or cutting out the passing lanes that I think you need against a player like that. And I think you, you could see, I mean, I, I watched the game back. I haven't watched it last night. I watched the game back in preparation for this. And, you know, it was sort of like the first 10 minutes where it was quite intense and Modric were just kind of floating around the pitch. And it was like, you know, in Jurassic Park, when Muldoon's talking about the Velociraptors trying different bits of the fence to see which bit's weak. Yeah. After about 10 minutes, Modric just kept popping up on that right-hand side where Armstrong was. And if you look, I mean, if you watch the game back and you look at like where the, where he was sort of operating, it was in that area. And I think that's because he's obviously a hugely intelligent player and he knows where to pick up space and he knows where the danger is. And I think Armstrong didn't do enough to, to deal with him. I don't think it was entirely his fault. You also had, uh, who was it? Juranovic, the, their right-back was, was bombing on. And uh, the... Boy that was a boy that was Everton uh, Vlasic, yeah, sort of coming inside and Tierney was sort of like following him inside and that meant Robertson was getting pushed back by their right back and I sort of thought in that game well if you if Modric is going to be operating in that area get Robertson who can run all day up pressing him and harrying him and don't give him that time on the ball and if your Tierney and Vlasic goes inside okay it's a risk but well we'll take that risk because. He's a good player, but he ain't Modric. And if you need to snuff one guy out of the game, it's Modric. So I thought I thought we could have handled that better. Uh, the, the Croatia game, um, uh, sorry, the Czech Republic game in, in the first game, again, it was just sort of silly mistakes. It's a, a set-piece chance, and then we don't pick up the runner after that. And then, okay, it's an absolute world of a goal. And it was the same. It was the same against Croatia. Now, that Modric goal for 2 1, it's a brilliant strike. But even more so than the Czech game, he picks it up in space on the edge of the box. I think all three midfielders were sort of around Kovacic, who never shoots anyway, but you, they all sort of got drawn to the ball. And okay, uh, with the Czech game, a guy scoring from just inside the half, that doesn't happen that often. If you give Modric time and space to shoot right on the edge of the box, it's going to go in the top corner more often than not, I would have said. 
so I think it was just like silly moments like that. I mean, finishing and just losing losing daft goals, really. I think the England game was the only one where you could say, I mean, I was on the review show, so we don't need to go over it again, but Stone's hitting the post and Mount had a chance, but they never really looked like getting carved open by England, whereas last night there were numerous occasions where Croatia got in behind. I mean, you mentioned McKenna. There was one which I think eventually was flagged for offside where Marshall saved from Perisic and Modric just dropped the ball yeah. over his head. And you could you could actually see, watching it back, he was waiting to play that ball. He was waiting for him to come out. He picked it up on the touchline and sort of went to do it and then went no, no, and passed it inside. And then he got it again. Then he went down the line. He was waiting for McKenna to move out of position so he could drop the ball over his head. And that's what happened. So, yeah, I think uh, uh, numerous things, but I think there are also things to be positive about, which I guess we, we may come on to as well. I think um, Andy Robertson said, and I don't think he's an excuse. I, I really don't because I, I mentioned it myself beforehand. Um, Scotland have the least amount of caps between themselves in the entire entire tournament. Um, and, and that's something that doesn't matter how many tournaments you've been to or not. Like you can pick up caps and friendlies and all sorts. And, and Scotland do have a young side. Um, and you can understand and, and see how that's come to pass that you've got the least amount of caps in the tournament. And I think ultimately there's an awful lot of naivety throughout the games. Hendry shot that results in what would have been a break eventually and ended up being a 50 yard strike, unreal. On the flip side, you see the naivety of allowing Modric that space to shoot last night. It'll read as Scotland falling at the first hurdle again and going out in the group stages and an unfulfilled promise and a great chance to get through the third place and you know that the chances that were missed in the first game. But I think ultimately, when you look at like the tournament experience I'll have from that as a Scotland fan, and I know we do like to look on the bright side of life as Scotland and England fans, and probably Wales fans as well. Um, it's been a good tournament in that sense, hasn't it? It's going to give Scotland so much more heading into what hopefully will not be another 23 years for another tournament. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's the same both sides of the border that when you get a good result, everything's fantastic. When you get a bad result, there are just some absolutely hysterical reactions. And I think there's been a lot of hysteria after the game last night. If you look at that team, as you say, so Robertson's 27, Tierney's 23 or whatever. Delmore has come in is just turned 20. Patterson, who should be the right back in the future, is 19. McTominay's still only 24. It's a, It's not like France 98, the last time we were at a tournament where it was sort of a lot of old stagers sort of going for the sort of last hurrah. Qualifying for a tournament is a big monkey off the back. There's a good core of players there lacking in some areas, you know, up front. And I think we'll need to find another goalkeeper from somewhere. But there's a good core of players there. There's a good manager there who's shown that he can get results. And you'd think that going into the World Cup and the next Euros, that core of players is the one that will be there. And they've got that tournament experience now that when it comes to games like this, I mean, just look at Croatia last night. Now, they've had a bit more of a difficult tournament. They only had one point going into that game. But when it comes to the heat of the moment, their players, they've been there, they've done it, they know how to get a result in a game. As I said, they were ice cold all night, whereas Scotland looked frantic, looked carried. And I think that's the kind of thing you can only gain by playing in these tournaments and having got that monkey off the back, as I said, after 23 years, you'd think next time that it'll be a lot more, a lot more calm, a lot more experience and 
they'll be much better equipped to make a real go of it next time. Okay. Maybe even a, a, a bit more realism as well. I think people got carried away because of the year that's been up to 18 months, the way that you qualified and stuff like that, they, they became heroes sort of overnight when realistically they were still very much David Marshall of Derby County in a relegation fight that he can't even get his first team place. I think if you get qualified for Qatar, I think there'll probably be a little bit more realism and less excitement of how you can progress out of a tournament and how you can prepare properly and stuff like that. And it hopefully will be a bit of a more normal world by then as well. Yeah, and I think you've got to remember that Clark came in, sort of, obviously we got the playoff place through the Nations League, but he came in during the qualifying campaign where we'd been battered by Kazakhstan, which people forget, I mean, you know, Croatia in 2018 were in the World Cup final and we were losing 3-0 to Kazakhstan. And I think it was only really around the playoff or just before that where we settled on the system. Players like Gilmore have just come into the team. So it was very much a team that was a work in progress going into the tournament. And now you'd think that there's that solid foundation that we can build from. And as you say, I mean, I would like to make clear when Scott and I were talking about winning it, we were joking. We didn't actually mean that. But yeah, I, I agree with you uh, in general. Yes, Scott did. Talking. Scott meant it. Scott told me. I've got the message. It's Photoshop, <laughs> but I've got the message. Scott definitely told me that he would win it. And I told him in reply, his hair would come back before Scotland even got out of the group. Or his sofa would arrive. Oh, his sofa would arrive, yeah, which I still don't think it has made, to be fair. But um, obviously, we all know Hungary are going to win it. So I don't even yeah. know why we just discussed the mighty, that. Really. The mighty, mighty uh, Hungary, which I hope they do, because that'd be great. Um, hopefully, they'll get Wembley in the last 16, and that's where they fall. Um, before I completely leave Scotland and go on to England and we, we end today's short and sweet pod, I think I know the answer to this. I've got my own opinions on it, but there's been a bit of discussion around Steve Clark, which there always is about every manager after every game, win, lose, or draw. Um, it's either give him a 10-year contract a la Alan Pardew at Newcastle, sack him tomorrow, sack him at half-time, sack him in the tunnel, depending on the result. I think he's a bit too cautious, a little bit too loyal for my liking, and I think he probably took Scotland maybe as far as he can. Obviously, you're, you've seen a lot more of Steve Clark, and you're a lot bigger fan of him. Would you change it, or do you think that would be silly? Yeah, I think that would be silly. I think... Uh, the building blocks are certainly there. He, he's made mistakes during the tournament. We've discussed those. I think certainly starting Christie ahead of Adams in the first game was strange. Taking so long to put Gilmore in, it wasn't his fault. We couldn't play against Croatia, but uh, but taking so long to put Gilmore in. But I mean, I think a lot of the criticism that I've seen has come from people who are perhaps thinking with um, club loyalties in mind, if I can put it that way. Uh, and maybe have some preconceived opinions about Steve Clark from uh, other arenas than the Scotland job. No, I think you know the guy got us to a tournament, which was his remit. Okay, we've had we've come away with it with one point and only scoring once. I don't think, apart from the Croatia game, we ever really looked hugely out of our depth. I mean, even the Czech game. Okay, they won two 0 but we had the chances in that game. You were in every game at some point. Yeah, yeah. Even the Croatia game, we got that equaliser before half time. Now they were by far the better team, but we still had chances, and we got that equaliser before half time. So I think, I think the foundations are there to build. Where there seems to be, I mean, obviously you're never going to hear um, authoritative, but there seems to be a good good mood about the camp, which hasn't always been the case with Scotland. So I think making a change now as a sort of knee jerk reaction to finishing bottom of a group that realistically, with the squad, you probably would be favourites to finish bottom of. 
no sort of disgraceful performances after a 23-year wait. I think it would be, you know, that's chucking the baby out with the bathwater. And don't forget, this is Steve Clark's first international tournament, so he's going to be learning as much as what the players are. So he made mistakes. Maybe he won't make those mistakes next time. Yeah, yeah, hopefully so. Um, Jack, before we obviously leave the uh, the conversation completely, back to England. As we speak, we've, we've talked about Hungary, but we don't really know who we're going to be playing. It's gonna. It looks like it's going to be one of Portugal or France. Um, I think either way we look at it, there's a, a chance of Germany if they pull it back by the time this is released tomorrow. I don't think it's going to be Hungary, even if they do win tonight. I don't think they can get higher than third. So I'm going to go in with a positive mindset because I know a lot of people are going, I'd rather not face any of them, but we're going to have to face one of them. We're going to have to beat them at some point if we want to win any sort of tournament or get anywhere near. Who do you want? Who would you prefer to face? Well, on tonight, Sean, I will say France. France are, France are right off it tonight, aren't they? No, um, out of those three... Q France's 5-1 win. <laughs> it's, it's difficult because, I mean, England fans have got the old, oh, Germany, Germany, Germany. I personally would say Germany out of those three. Or Portugal, France and Germany. I'd rather face Germany. I know England fans have got bad memories of Germany. I know they tend to knock us out a lot in tournaments. Um one way or the other, whether it's Euros or World Cups, we always seem to come up against them. But I don't think this is a classic Germany team. I look at the team, I think it's efficient, it's hard work, and it's decent. Don't get me wrong, it's pretty good. But in terms of the German squads, this is way down on them. So if you had to ask me which three I would pick, I would probably pick them out of the three. Um, but it's it's just annoying because the, the format means that Denmark, I know this is, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here, I've been ranting about it the last few days, to be honest. But uh, Denmark lost two of their three group games snuck through in third place and then get Wales in the last 16. No disrespect to Wales at all, but we win our group and we're rewarded with France, Portugal or Germany. It just it just doesn't seem right to me. That it's I don't know how it's been organised. It doesn't seem right. But anyway, by the by, I think we've got to go into it. There's an old saying, isn't there? You have to beat, we have to beat the best to be the best. If we want to win the Euros, we're going to have to beat a couple of heavyweights along the way. Do I think we're going to win the Euros? No, probably not. I don't think we will. It would be nice to see us get a big win and maybe get to the quarters or the semis and then the belief build up. But it would just be nice to see a performance because we've got seven out of nine points, but we haven't really seen a really good England performance. So hopefully Tuesday, however it is in the last 16, we see a good England performance. And I think if we do play well against any of those three, I don't think they'll, they'll fancy it against England with a home crowd behind us, with us playing really well and energetic. and on 40,000 fans as well. Exactly. 40, None fans. of those... None of those three teams, Graham, will fancy playing England when England are on it with the English crowd behind us. None of them will fancy it, so let's let's have it. Let's perform and let's beat any of them. I'm with you the same on Germany, I think, because I think Germany have the same level of deficiencies as, as England do. I think we're yeah. about on par. Both got world-class players, but both have deficiencies where you can be penetrated, whereas I'm not sure the French at top form actually have any. I know that sounds daft because Hungary got a result and as the time speaking, Portugal won a lot, but I feel like Portugal have Ronaldo that can drag you through any old shit, literally yeah. any shit, till he's about 50-year-old. And I think the French, if the French fancy it, they're just the best team in the world and they've proven that. So for me, the Germans, which I never thought I'd say as a veteran of Euro 96 and, and old enough to remember Italian 90 to an extent, um, but either way, you're going to have to you're gonna have to beat someone to get there get what you want at the end, isn't it? It's going to be a tough game, Graham, regardless who we're playing. Anyone, you know, we've, we've not made a great deal of the group and the groups, all three teams in the group are probably a lot weaker than the, whoever it is we're going to play. So yeah. we're talking about earlier, we need to find another level. Hopefully there isn't, we have to, do you know what I mean? There's no ifs or buts because 
if we don't produce it, we're going to be out. You know, we're going to be out here before the quarterfinals. So it's bad luck. The draw's not good luck, but get on with it. Hopefully, find that extra level with the English Wembley crowd behind us. Get a good performance and nick a win and throughout the quarters, and then take it from there. Before we go, Gabe, I'll come on to you. I think we've had we've had a good look at the tournament. I don't know about you, but I've watched every single game. If I've missed it, I've watched it back. Um, actually, tell a lie. I missed the Sweden game. I've got to watch that one back because obviously both played at the same time. But I think it would be fair enough to say we could probably have an idea who we think is going to win it. I'm going to go for Italy. I know it's the obvious answer, but I think the Italians unfancied at the start and I think people have realised how good they are and how unbeaten they've been in so long that we're suddenly going, all right, okay. So they're still good, even though Andrea Pelo's retired. So I said, I think I said at the beginning Belgium, but I'm fancying the Italians now. But Gabe, going into the knockout stages, who's your, who's your tip? Uh, well, I'd like to say uh, Italy were underappreciated by you and Scott. I always thought they were pretty good because I watch a lot of uh, Serie A. <laughs> Italy have certainly looked the strongest so far. You maybe have doubts when they come up against a France about how mobile the centre of that defence is, but certainly Italy look very strong. I'd say Italy or France. Italy have played the best, and I think France. I mean, France could field two teams that could win that competition. So I, th- those would be my two favourites. I uh, I went with France earlier in the tournament, uh, early before the tournament started. I think I know they're losing at the minute, but I still think they're going to be up there. But having watched Belgium, I'm looking at Belgium and I'm thinking. I know that you've people have talked about this golden generation for so long, and I just feel like this might be it. Do you know what I mean? I know people have said, well, they've said that the last two or three tournaments, but I'm looking now, I was watching De Bruyne, the way De Bruyne is playing the other night, Lukaku was firing up front, they've got Hazard, they've got the strength and depth. I'm just looking at Belgium and I'm thinking, players are at the peak now, they're not going to get better than this probably in the next time, and I just think this might be, potentially could be, could be their year as well. So, but two answers, but I would still... I'd still go France, but don't be surprised if it's Belgium. Yeah. Perfect. Lads, thanks so much for joining us. It's a bit of a later reaction show, but I think we had to kind of do that because <laughs> A, on Friday, all the Scottish people that wanted to come on the podcast were too pissed. And today, they pretty much all of them were too depressed. Um, and I think, to be fair, as Englishmen, we're not exactly enthralled either. But stay with us. Um, we will be with England, as we said we would be. Um, same with Scotland. Scotland's obviously gone now, but with previews, reaction shows with England all the way through. And if we do get knocked out sooner than we'd hope, we will still have, obviously, quarterfinal, semi-final, and final reaction, and then back into the depression of Sunderland Association Football Club afterwards. Um, but thanks for joining, Jack and, and Gabe. Um, enjoy the rest of your night, lads. No problem. Cheers, mate. Cheers.